Visible is a wireless carrier that is not invisible. It is pretty clear from the name, actually, radio waves are invisible. And I can say this with authority as a licensed amateur radio operator. That being said, Visible won't be giving you the power to see light outside the visible spectrum. It's actually way better because having that ability would make getting around very difficult and distracting. What you do get with Visible is unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. You get one line of wireless, just $25 a month, which is great in these times of economic uncertainty. That is one line for $25, taxes and fees included. So whatever you're doing at this moment, please stop. Switch immediately. Now, monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Wir gerne sehen in was ist los. It's dein Freundo Seth. I'm learning German. Yeah, in case you didn't know what that was. That is me trying to impress you with the little German that I know. Right now, I am actually learning German. I took it in high school. I goofed off the entire time. I did some other language learning apps. They taught me things like where the taxi stand is and how to find a bus, um, but not a lot of conversational uh German. Thankfully, that's what Babbel is all about. Babbel teaches you language conversationally, which let's face it, that is what you want to know anyway. I don't know. When I was in school, you learned like how to count. You learned like the colors. You learned the shapes. Those are all important things, but they don't help you when you're in uh, like Cologne, Germany with Ein Nierenstein, which by the way is German for kidney stone, uh, an experience I can unfortunately speak personally to. But I've been using Babbel to learn to speak German again, uh, better than I have before. I actually really like it because it is conversational. It's a little bit more relaxed. One of the things that it does that I really like is it'll sometimes show you what the literal English translation is. And I don't know why, but I find that very helpful in sort of understanding the structure, the grammar of a language and sort of putting myself into that mind space. Since I'm only in Germany for Gamescom, which is like a week, week and a half, I'm not immersed in the German language. I'm not immersed in German culture. So what I do is the second best thing. I'm taking Babbel. Hopefully this year when I go to Germany, I'll be able to impress all the Germans with how much German I know from learning through Babbel. The app has pronunciation recognition, so you'll be able to learn how to speak better with your accent, how to actually properly pronounce the words. That way you won't get made fun of by a, a group of older German men because you said Apfelstrudel and not Apfelstrudel. Um, no, it's really cool. Uh, I'm going to say right now there is a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now you can get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners because you guys are the best ones, by the way, at babbel.com slash realm. Get 60% off at babbel.com slash realm. That is spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash realm. Rules and restrictions may apply. Nintendo! Ladies and gentlemen... Boys and girls, a new challenger approaches.
to Nintendo Voice Chat for the week of October 22nd, 2015. I am your host, Jose Otero, and this is IGN's Nintendo Show. Joining me once again is Per Schneider. Hey, Jose. There's Brian Altano. Rap, rap. And we have some news to talk about before we bring in a special guest on the show. So, first of all, last week, we didn't talk about that the Wall Street Journal, sources told the Wall Street Journal, that Nintendo began distributing software dev kits for its NX video game platform. Uh, this is a big deal because this is one of the few times we're hearing something like this pretty early. I feel like when Wii U happened, we didn't quite get a window of when the dev kits went out. Um, and for folks kind of panicking uh, to that news, it doesn't mean they just went out. It means they have gone out uh, yeah. to more people. Yeah. As, as that circle expands, people are going to be talking about it. Now, Nintendo has promised details for this new system or this new platform next year. They don't want to talk about anything this year. But... In the article, uh, Wall Street Journal points out, people familiar with the development plans said Nintendo would likely include both a console and at least one mobile unit that could either be used in conjunction with the console or taken on the road for separate use. Now, please bear in mind, this means the development platform will take two pla- two systems into account. It doesn't mean they necessarily come together. Yes. It's an important detail. For I'm, I'm glad you specified that, by the mm-hmm. way, because I think a lot of people looked at that as like, oh, it's a portable GameCube that fits and folds in half or whatever. It's, yes. It's not like that. So, not necessarily. So what does this mean, this, this news? Dev kits are out. What does it say? Well, there are a couple of things, right? I mean, mm. it could mean that the release that a release date of 2016 is becoming a reality, right? If you look back at Wii U news, for example, uh, Wii U dev kits were were shipped in, you know, I think early 2011. You know, more than a year before the the system's release, but really, kind of the chatter and the leaks and the talk about, hey, we're developing for this machine, and this is what the power is like. That was happening about, you know, a year and a couple of months before uh, release of the system. Right. Um, it feels. I mean, it could still be a little bit early if the talks are starting now. But mm-hmm. you know, looking at the Wall Street Journal article, and this came out of the Japan Bureau, right? Uh, the the writer, the editor was, yes. was from Japan. Yep, that's right. I have a feeling. I'm just guessing, but you know, given the writer's other articles, I gotta think it's a source at Square Enix. You know, one of one of the uh, Japanese studios out there. Look at there. you pointing fingers. Um, <laughs> no, I mean that's just what it what it sounds like, and it makes sense because they were the earliest folks to say we're going to move drag. We're going to we're, we're going to have Dragon Quest on the NX, right? They talk a little bit too much out yep, there. Yeah. Um, so I have a I have a feeling it's from them. Interesting. Okay. But, but I mean, when dev kits are out um, more than a year in advance of a system's release. Um, you know, if it's actual dev kits and not just kind of like aim at this kind of goal hardware, that means we're a year, maybe a little bit more away. But I think people interpret development kits as like the game development on whatever is for whatever this game will be for an X starts now. And that's not necessarily the case in game development. Like they could be working towards a spec they already knew about. Yeah. And then the dev kit is the final sort of piece of the puzzle for them to put together a game. Yeah. I just, it doesn't, I saw some reactions on Twitter from people saying that, well, this means there's the games are starting now and they're going to be crap. And it's like, well, first of all, all launches <laughs> have questionable software. Like let's not even pretend that's not a thing. Yeah. A and B, um, that doesn't mean some conversations didn't start before this. That doesn't mean some of these parties didn't know certain specs beforehand. Like, I'm pretty sure I would be willing to bet the Dragon Quest guys knew a little something more or in the Nintendo circle of trust, if and, that is the case. And there's an important 
piece of distinction. First of all, Dragon Quest, right, was in development or targeted at a as a Wii U release, and you, you're having something where the game design's been worked on for ages, right? But you know the the graphics and and the kind of the final upgrades are still in flux. So that yeah. makes sense. It's not a game that's being developed now in the next year. Sure, but there are. Um, but there are the other titles, right, that are in development for the Xbox One and the PS4 or the PC that can now easily be adapted for this platform now that developers are getting more information about the power of the hardware. But right. Let's, but right. let's back up a little bit. Let's take Dragon Quest X as the, t- is the example here since we're, we're talking about it a little bit. That is two different games right, right. now. Or sorry, Dragon, is it ten? No, it's, uh, it's uh, Ooh, I mean, the next Dragon yeah. Quest. Yeah, sorry, yeah. we keep saying ten. Uh, the next Dragon Quest will be two different games. Like on, on portable, it's going to be this in tandem 3D, 2D style game that mm-hmm. you're going to choose and and sort of take different avenues in the story. And then on PlayStation 4, it's something completely, to some degree, I mean, very different. Yeah. So which one is it? Well, that's the question, right? Given that Nintendo has said or hinted at NX being kind of like this connectivity platform. I got to think it's the one that connects all the platforms, mm. which is more lo- more likely to tie in with the mobile world, right? Mm. I mean, that's just it's just a it's just a guess. Um but I mean the other the other difference now to to the Wii U that I see is that the U- Wii U was targeted to be, you know, PS PS3 Xbox 360 level at a time when the next generation was already being talked about. And so, uh, you know, I think it's a little different here because we are thinking that the NX is a step up from the hardware power of the Xbox One and the PS4. And I guess that's the, the piece I left out, that yeah. they're industry-leading uh, chips in this. Whatever thing. that means. I mean, again, right. it's like it's the scuttlebutt stuff where, you know, everything is so general it could mean a lot of things. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people forget, too, that there were, there were chips on PC better than PS4 and Xbox One the day those right. consoles launched. Mm-hmm. So this doesn't necessarily mean like the next gen is beginning with Nintendo or this will be twice the power of PS4. But if it's if if it's you know comparable or as good as a, a you know, gaming PC this year or last year or the year before, that's still way better than anything they've ever given us. So yeah, it's, it's and good. it is. Remember that was the big question. Wii was a huge success for Nintendo. It just fell off when people stopped making games and, and people, the expanded right. market stopped playing them as well, right? Mm-hmm. But Wii was a huge success, and that was old hardware. It was old and cheap to release mm-hmm. and cheap to sell, and you know, consumers, more people could afford and it, Just obviously. a really smart concept. And yeah. so there was the question, will this be a cheaper Android-based console, like an Ouya micro console type, maybe not quite as, yep. as wimpy, but a little bit more oomph, but not quite a... PS4 killer or an Xbox One killer. And these reports suggest that, you know, I'm reading into industry-leading chipsets. I'm reading into it. It is a powerful machine. Yeah. So a little bit more how the GameCube was positioned versus the PlayStation 2. Which, if, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, but if you think about it, they are launching in the middle of a console hardware cycle. Yep. I think it would be a huge mistake, given that circumstance, to not have something that is going to compete or at least look slightly better than what's on that market. But being in the middle of that cycle, they're going to look older faster. Like, that's the other thing. I think this, the, they're still kind of in a weird spot. They're always off whatever on this, the Yeah, whatever this off thing is. But again, it depends on what it is, right? If it you're does. going by, by a modern console sensibilities, and I'm, I agree with you, right? Like, the success of the PS4, especially against the Wii U, um, shows you that hardware power matters in the yeah. console world, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, the Ouya obviously floundered and uh, uh, other well, machines never came through. But 
let's look at mobile phones, right? Nobody's saying, well, nobody's going to play games on the iPhone because it's not as powerful right. as the PlayStation 4. And that's the big question. Well, they don't care. Which yeah. is an which is, So which is a, a big surprise to me because I thought this is going to be the time where Nintendo just doubled down on their, we don't really care about industry-leading graphics. Mm-hmm. We don't care because it's a little late. And honestly, like, uh, the PS4 is dominating right now. That's the first time in maybe 20 years where the, the console with the best hardware is, is selling the best. Because mm-hmm. the Wii didn't. The, PS, the PS2 didn't. Mm. Uh, I mean, the Super Nintendo before it maybe was going up against the TurboGrafx-16 and other things. That were, even the Jaguar had a better chipset. Like, the, the, uh, the N64... In, in a lot of ways, it's better than well, the Well, look PS1. at the handheld market. I mean, Graphics the Game wise. Boy would not die. Like, that thing was around for what felt like yeah, forever. Right, right. And um, the, the, the PSP couldn't kill it. The no. Game Gear couldn't kill. Like, people don't necessarily look for graphics. Nowadays, they do. The problem about launching a console that's neck and neck with these other consoles in the middle of a console war is that people have already nestled into their, their homes, Right. On on their on their platforms, you have your people you play Destiny with, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it's one of, in one of two places. That's right. Uh, I'm gonna have my people. I'm gonna play Battlefront with and stuff like that. We, you know, you know where you're playing Mario Kart. Can't you know believe where... that's a sentence just because I know how you play multiplayer games. But continue. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but I think, but it's just like you get used to your ecosystems, right? Mm-hmm. Like I have an, a PS4 and an Xbox One and a Wii U. I've always been platform agnostic. I love them all. But when I go home and I want to watch a movie or something like that, I associate that with my PS4. Yeah, when there's a too. new next gen game that come out, like you know, Assassin's all my multi platforms. I play on PS4. Exclusives, I'll play on Xbox One and, 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 and blah, 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 blah. But that's a shift from the last generation where you, I assume you were like me, predominantly, predominantly playing 360. online 360. Yeah, I was playing, well, more more like Absolutely. that. But um, yeah, so, and then I play, obviously, I, I, I always like Sony's first party stuff more yeah. than, than the other guys. But to, for Nintendo to come in all of a sudden and just sort of be like, well, A, are they going to, do they start with like ports do you get a mm-hmm. bunch of leftovers do you have like a Wii U launch situation where it's just like here's Darksiders 2 and uh, you know things like that where you're just like well here's Batman here's Mass Effect we're like well everyone got these games already and, and the and the upgrade wasn't worth the additional look right yeah. you got a game like uh, Black Flag Assassin's Creed which yep. is an awesome game you look at the Wii U version you're like yeah it's better in some ways but not in all not right at all. and then there yeah. were always kind of like the little asterisk caveats yeah. like yeah. you Every can't talk with people that. or yeah. you know it doesn't have DLC or, and so yeah. it wasn't a good story. So, but the, the issue with Nintendo platforms in the last 15 years has never been their hardware strength. It has been their, their third-party uh, connections, basically, and their audience. And those two things go hand-in-hand hand because when they're third-party, when they, they, they can ink the best third-party deals in the world. But if their audience doesn't turn around and buy those games and they only predominantly buy first-party games because that's the way that ecosystem works yeah. – uh, then those third parties bail, bail out and they go to the other guys where they, they can make sales. So to me, like, I actually wanted to see them go a little weirder and go a little more like we're just making like, you know, we're going to make really fun games that don't look amazing or anything like that. Yeah. I, I looked at this gen. I looked at stuff like Mario Kart and Smash Brothers and Yoshi's Woolly World. And I'm like, these are gorgeous games. And they are not on industry leading chipsets or anything like mm-hmm. that. They're very good looking because that's they, they are where they need to be uh, artistically going with the style that they're yeah. in. But the, the problem is is Nintendo fans. Nintendo fans need to buy third-party software. Well, I I think the big lesson for Nintendo was that uh, it isn't even always power. That's right. It is also just the the console's sort of unique quality, and you saw that, and third parties were throwing themselves at opportunities to make games for Wii before the mobile market came and changed a lot of the way casual and other people consume games. Um, And I think there that if NX has that at its core, but then also has, you know, 
the hindsight of yeah, we can't come out of the gate looking weaker than 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 right. the other the, mm-hmm. than the competition, especially if we're rebooting this now of all times. Like we're not waiting until you know Xbox Two and I uh, I mean that as a joke and, yeah. and PS Five come along. We we're going to do this now, and this has to draw attention and the one way to do that is to look good yeah, yeah. you know you have to but and also have that unique to, hardware and, concept yeah. and remember how fickle developers are right developers right. love machines that let them try something new yeah. right like if they are now running into games especially with the big open world games where they're struggling with frame rate right you see that we see all the early demos before they optimize look at watchdogs the, on Wii U yeah the moment they, they get hardware that is more powerful they'll be excited yeah. right and they'll want to make a game and especially Especially if it is easier to take something simple and move it to this hardware yep. yeah. and have it perform well, then you'll see more third-party I, games. I just want can I too. I want to oh. specify my statement earlier, real quick, before I get a ton of hate mail. Uh, mm-hmm. The problem the problem with with third party with Nintendo fans not buying third-party games is not entirely on Nintendo fans. Right. It's the fact that they have to, when they are given the option to buy a third-party game, it's some last-gen leftovers or it's a, a bad watered-down port six like months later. Like, it's yeah. tough. It's, it's tough. usually last year's Madden with Mario. In yeah, it and then EA right? and Ubisoft yeah. and all these other companies go, well, our games don't sell on Wii U. And it's like, well, you gave us a watered-down version of your game yeah. six months after it came out. So it's it's tough. It's tough. But, another, it's but the other game. elephant in the room, honestly, is how much it costs to make a game now. And I think one day we need to sit down and really talk about that and explain to people that, you know, this market and the reason third parties don't want to take a lot of huge risk is because of how much it costs to get a game out the door. Um, And that's why you try to put it on every platform. When when that one platform isn't cooperating and you have to do a ton of work to do it, they don't want that. That mobile backdoor thing that Nintendo could be angling with here could be really huge. Because I've been arguing this for a little while now, but there was a a while there, especially when I first started working at at this company six years ago, where the middle of the industry was so strong. The THQs and the Midways and all those things were pumping out uh, games left and right. And they were throwing these huge parties and sending like, they would send, you know, like, oh, you know, Sega sent a, like a 70-foot Subway sandwich in the lunchroom, stuff like that. Uh, that's gone now. All, all those companies kind of fell back or, or dip, dipped away. But mobile is the new middle. Yeah. Mobile is the new middle of the industry. And if Nintendo can figure out how to, w- how to get people into that, um, but still have the opportunity tap, to do, tap into that yeah. energy, get those people mm-hmm. making games but for still, them. But still satiate the yeah. core gamers with like next gen looking games. I think there could be something. Well, there. mobile right now, I mean, at least I feel, and you guys could disagree, uh, feels incredibly unpredictable. Like, yeah. Because there is no pre release hype, because you're not talking about these games for months and months and months. There is no like Z- Legend of Zelda level like thing that people are like, oh man, can't wait till that comes out. It feels like every mobile game I hear about just showed up one day. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. And yeah. that's weird to think about like maybe Nintendo. Nintendo showing off mobile games at E3 that weren't out for six months. Yeah, and I'm know. sure there's exceptions to what I just said. I'm not going to pretend that there aren't. But for most of the software I see, like, and the ones that people sort of start talking about, I didn't hear about this until you started talking about it. When right. did you hear about it? Right. It's a lot of word of mouth. So I wonder if that has to do with like the certification process on, on iPhone and stuff like that with, with Apple. Like, well, is, can you commit to a launch date? If, yeah, if, you, you can. So if it's out certain, of your hands? The big guys will team up with Apple get something preloaded, and then Apple will work with them on getting the game live at a certain right. hour. You saw and that promoted. with Fallout, right? Yeah. And get locked into App Store promotion, of course, which then spikes it. Um, 
but not that doesn't work for everyone. Like right. it can be very unpredictable how long your game will sit in certification. Which is fascinating, right? Because when was the last time Nintendo had to wait for somebody else to say that they can go? Yeah, you know, they've, no, been, exactly. they've been running their own show but, for so long. But there's also, you, you know, I, the, I think that's yeah. I think that's evolving. I mean, certainly you could hold a game after it's been approved for a while. Yeah. Um, but I th- also think companies love that surprise factor that when you're seeing something for the first time and you're saying, hey, look how cool this game looks, that everybody can just click a button and download it, right? Yep. That's something that you don't get this rush in the console world. It's yep. always so premeditated. And right. I think a lot of console makers are looking to figure out a way to make that happen as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. So NX 2016? Maybe. We'll see. Maybe. We'll talk about this. Uh, They're making games for it now. That's the best news. If, That's the best news. If there was for. a more fleshed out lineup for next year, other than the Zelda game we have not heard a word about in months, Ooh. Yep. I would say... you. I would say it's later, but it, it just feels like they're running out of games, and at this point, they want to get this machine out before the next next generation is already being talked about. Yeah, that's right. right. All right, well, and speaking of The Legend of Zelda, we got to talk to producer Eiji Aonuma uh, and also Hiromasa Shikata, the director uh, on Zelda Triforce Heroes. And in talking to Aonuma, we got a, a new tease, <laughs> which I guess I should have expected. Um, but it was more in response to what fans thought of Skyward Sword. And uh, the way this came about was sort of talking about how it seems more and more that Aonuma is especially very aware of what fans want, whether it be the Majora's Mask remake that people were begging him for. Like, I mean, like reading feedback, reading feedback online, the team seems to be pretty aware of that stuff. And so we asked, like, you know, what what are some examples of, of you trying to work in, you know, sort of fan, uh, fan feedback into the next game, especially when the next Zelda game could be the weirdest thing. It could be crossbow training it could be triforce heroes it mm-hmm. could be something you would never even have thought of but his answer at first was vague and then we asked for a specific example and he said well we actually had some feedback from skyward sword where people were saying this is not this is not exactly the zelda game i was looking for i was looking for a bigger open world that's what he told us unfortunately i can't go into details <sighs> the teasing but I'm hoping to put a surprise or kind of a twist on my view of an open world game. I hope that you'll look forward to it. Yeah. That's a, I mean, that's a bold statement. Right? Yeah. There are obviously a lot of open world games out there that are doing things really well, you know, from your Grand Theft Autos to obviously Elder Scrolls, Elder Scrolls and, uh, and Assassin's Fallout. Creed. And even like uh, mm-hmm. Just Cause now, huge map mm-hmm. and yep. really interactive. Metal Gear. So for him to say yeah. something, Metal Gear, and for him to say something like that, I'm curious what that, what that means now. Does that mean pro- like certain elements are procedurally like generated that hmm. maybe the temples move location depending on who's playing or time right. of day i mean we saw time of day like on the on the gamepad itself also yeah. like how's that going this whole gamepad integration because it, then it begs the question if presumably this ends up on the next system what does that mean for this open world mm-hmm. like if this thing is going to be spread across two different video game platforms which they haven't said but i'm just being the guy who's saying it now uh, because I don't like the scenario. I feel like you can't Twilight Princess the industry twice. Like no. I feel like you, you got to pick and choose. But maybe they their hand was forced. They don't want to put out a Zelda that at the end of the day might not do as well as they want it to do. You say they can't Twilight Princesses twice. They've done a lot of things more than twice. You know, it's like down from no down from like having the huge holiday title slip after telling you, oh no, that's it's coming, and then not really having a. That's not the same to me. That's not that is not the same thing. Like how many times can they launch without a Mario game? (laughs) Well, (laughs) many times. Many times. it, It like they never say never. 
Um, I could absolutely see at this point, despite them saying it's still a Wii U game, I could see it be another bridge game where it's on okay. both devices or... Okay. I, th- I think what, what could separate... Know. Feels silly. What it would se- be silly. It was silly. Go what ahead, could separate sorry. Legend of Zelda Wii U or whatever we're calling it. I, you can't even give it that subtext anymore because who knows? I don't know what to call um, it anymore. Yeah. From from other open world games are A, the the weird enemy variety, which I mean Skyrim has to an extent and, and Far Cry has with actual real animals and stuff like that. But there's some really cool enemies in, like the in the Zelda world. Yeah. yeah. Real animals like the Yeti. Like the Yeti. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah. Or all the all the uh, prehistoric things are doing next. Yeah. Um, but it's uh, the traversal, the way that you actually get around the world is way different. Your hook shots and your your spinning tops and mm-hmm. the leaves that that float up. That I don't I don't know how that's going to look one if they keep doing that with better and better graphics. But I think that opens up the open world element of it, the bombs and all that stuff, like sort of creating creating elements of areas that you can get to using a lot more verticality. <sighs> Yeah, which I find very interesting. Um, yeah. Rideable animals and stuff like that. Like, there's a lot of cool stuff in Zelda that I think. I wonder what time of day is going to do this game. I just I feel like you that think that's is a big one. I, I might be. I mean, look at Majora's Mask and look at what they did with this three day cycle. And I'm not saying it's the same thing. Yeah. But what I am saying is maybe that inspired this sort of next take on what because I feel like open worlds are like these really big playgrounds to run through, but. They don't always operate on a schedule. It depends on yeah. the game, really. Like I think, it does. I think it's like very Metal least... Gear does a great job of playing with the schedule because at night it's way easier to sneak into places than during the day. Yeah. But what about the different people you meet? The the eccentric quality that Zelda games has have in their characters. Yeah. Like how does that work in? Look, I mean, there are a lot of things that have been done in open world games. I feel like there are still a couple of things out there outside of of mods. Um, there hasn't been a game where the world gets flooded. Mm-hmm. Right, like where the same environment that you moved around in gets later flooded, and that changes everything. You know, right. we've seen MMOs GTA mods it, like yeah, that, yeah, but there yeah, hasn't been like a, a disaster game. And obviously, that's what happened with Wind Waker. You, but you got the the you aftermath. got the final aftermath. Yeah. And then we have not seen, I think, the past and the future. Um, in an open world game the way Link to the Past did it mm-hmm. with the two time zones where you had to travel mm-hmm. back and forth and so could that be what he's hinting at that they this is an open world game where time really factors in right because you know, we've seen the, the time of day stuff now mm-hmm. a lot right mm-hmm. this is true like you have to yeah. like certain shops are only open during the day and in every RPG so that, that stuff is now commonplace I wouldn't call and that I don't a, think he's going to telegraph it right. yeah. 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 I don't think he's going to telegraph it either but I do think that it's an idea that could get expanded upon I think random generation that, yeah. I mean yeah. we have not I think that's too much. That. I think that's too. You, you. This is like when we sat here and you're like Star Fox multiplayer. Get ready. And it's like, nope, that's <laughs> not a thing. Well, it's not out yet. Yeah, I don't know about random generation. I think that like I think they, that's too much. They're, they're, Zelda games have always sort of been about like their I- iconic landscapes and their memorable environments, and yeah. not just like you and I all have a different memory of what a- that environment is yeah. because it was re- uh, generated differently. I think one thing that they could really run with is the day night system in Animal Crossing how it brings out different creatures that you can collect and, and hunt and stuff like that. Um, I think that's a really good, like they, they've dabbled in that. Twilight Princess had that kind of stuff or sort of just like bug collecting or mm-hmm. finding finding weird things around the land. Um, Skulltolas and stuff like that in, in, in Ocarina appeared, at, I think, differently at night. Yeah. But uh, 
yeah. But I hear you, and especially that maybe that every single, or not every single, but majority of the things that you find somehow factor into some sort of crafting or mm-hmm. customization mm-hmm. or something that uniquely tells your story. But again, it's something we've seen in other games, but it would be curious to well, see it. We're seeing it right now. Zelda, like really, like I'm talking about like mainline console like Zelda. Well, well you see, you, you see um, it in, in Triforce Heroes, right? Like imagine if, if Tektite shells, instead of getting them as random loot drops, were things you got from battles in the field that only were triggered by certain times of night in this certain giant open yeah. area. And you're already there's, collecting things in like A Link Between Worlds. Yeah. Sorry, Perry, yeah. go ahead. No, yeah, but totally, there's, totally. there's one more element that could factor into an open world game in a bigger way, and that's that's the multiplayer community. I'm not saying Zelda will be a multiplayer game like an, like the like Assassin's Creed Unity where you team up, but Unity. more that it's kind of like this Miiverse connectivity where maybe there's a temple and... It needs a million players to open it, or something. You know where they use the power of the the Wii yep. NX community to open something or change something in the world. Someone needs to get on Numa to play Destiny. I'll be happy. They've played around. Then with he'll that never lot. finish his game. <laughs> <laughs> right? No, I hear your point. Yeah, yeah something that where an event happening. Uh, it's kind of like I, I mean, this is a terrible example, maybe, but with Splatoon, and it's like not enough players are ranked ten, so we're not opening multiplayer. I'm not saying that same example, yeah, yeah. but I'm saying something that like a community of people doing it affects the outcome in everyone's game. Like, right. Yeah, Nobi Nobi Boy had something like that. Do you remember yeah. that? That was that Keita Takahashi game? Yeah. Yeah. And, then, yeah. and obviously you've got Peter Molyneux's crazy little shenanigans where, you know, you, everybody's trying to solve a mystery together. But, like, that can I, that can really bring people together if it feels like you're not just leaving a signpost or a note for someone, mm-hmm. although that'd be cool, too, to be yep. able to put down yep. signs yep. and stuff. Uh, you got the bottles in the Wind Waker remake, obviously. All but, right. like, something like that, maybe in an open world game, we'll see. We'll just spend speculating but i'm intrigued by that statement same same all right well, we're going to take a quick break and when we come back we've got a special guest who is going to talk to us about making music especially in video games let's talk uh, we'll be back Schneider, and we are joined by three special guests. Uh, the the gentleman behind Super Soul Brothers. So to my left is Robbie Benson. He's the band founder and keyboards. Yes. Hey, how's it going? To my right is Brian Shu. He is also a co-founder and guitar. Hello. Oh, moving close, Brian. Yeah, yeah. Give me, <laughs> give me the energy. Yeah, you got to talk into that mic. And lastly, the uh, gentleman with the best last name I have yet to encounter in life, Alex Popoff, tenor sax. Hello. What's going on, guys? Thank you for joining us. So you, you guys, we are we're thrilled to have you on and just talk a little bit about you know sort of your experience and you know making music. So uh, tell us first of all about your tell the folks about your band, Super Soul Brothers. Okay, well, for, I mean, first off, not to put you on blast, but it's called Super Soul Bros. Bros. So, so we'll, Bros. we'll clarify that if you, if you Google Super Soul Brothers, I think it'll still get to us. But usually, yeah, I see we Mario go Bros. Bros. I yeah, go, yeah. I, I don't call it Mario Bros. Right, I apologize. Exactly. But uh, yeah, yeah. At least our, our website supersoulbros.com and then all of our social media handles are got it, super got soul bros. but uh okay. yeah we it, it kind of started off as a um when i was younger i mean i've played music most of my life and my brother uh 
dabbled with drums. So mm-hmm. I was I was playing keyboards and he'd play drums. And like when I was 12 or whatever, I, I would play little tunes from video games that I grew up, you know, playing. Um, and then later on when I was about 16 or 17... Um, we started doing it more. I, I met a couple buddies. He, uh, my friend John, he played violin. So we tried doing a couple YouTube videos really early on of like, you know, okay, Zelda theme and all that. But then um, later on when I was about 18 or 19, uh, we thought maybe we could do this publicly, do like a show at, you know um, – I mean we're based in San Jose and there's a, the Fanime Con convention or Fanime – yeah, Fanime. It's always on Memorial Day weekend. So mm. – uh, I don't know what the usual turnout is, but it's a pretty big deal in downtown San Jose. And uh, I had met um, some people at this place called Iguana's, home of the Burrito Zilla. It was a burrito restaurant downtown San Jose, and it was just walking distance from, uh, you know, the convention center. And I thought, well, there's a lot of people that usually go there, funnel over from the convention center, and they have live music there. Maybe I could throw a band together and we could play some video game tunes and uh, just get some get some publicity. Mm-hmm. And um, so we did that the first year, and it was really just me and not my brother because he's not really a musician per se. He's uh-huh. more of a film guy now. But, um, yeah, I just called up a bunch of musician buddies, and we kind of got started. Uh, it was sort of a hit. And then the next year we did it again, and I had met Brian uh, and a few other guys. We had Lachlan, nice. and we had Luke. And we had a bunch of different people that I was meeting, and um, and they were really into this project of playing video game music live with a jazz or a funk kind of so that was context. there from the beginning, a sort of a jazz funk yeah, flow. Yeah, that's what I grew up listening to. My dad was a, a B3 player, a Hammond organ player. So he was always playing like James Brown records or Herbie Hancock records and nice. all, all this all this funky stuff. That's what I grew up listening to. So okay. I couldn't really help but play in that kind of a style uh, if I were to play a video game tune. Mm-hmm. Or uh-huh. And did you basically pick pick kind of tunes from games that you loved or did you at that point say hey i gotta explore some new stuff beyond what what i played in the past i just kind of went the simplest route and just went with the tunes that were already scar tissue in in my head like i i i grew up with mario kart um just the classic mario brothers games some zelda games and so most of what the repertoire was starting out was stuff that i had played so much that I couldn't really it was super easy it was stupid easy to play it yeah. um, and then we would start um, when more people got involved with the project and we actually named it Super Soul Bros um, we started coming up with music charts and and learning more material to, to add to the repertoire nice nice okay um, and what was the the response then uh, like you said was, was sort of big right because I feel like at least for me, it, it always does catch my attention when I'm in a public space and I hear something from a video game. Because uh, you don't expect it. It well, you still don't feels like it's all. a secret to everybody, right? Like it, it, that Ve- the world very is not true. in yet that these games have fantastic music and great melodies. Yeah, I was once, uh, this is just a short story, but I was taking, uh, so in San Francisco we have the BART, uh, Bay Area Rapid Transit, and uh, I, was, I was headed to the station and someone was playing accordion dressed up as Mario and he was playing wow. he actually did the hurry up theme and then started playing really fast and I was walking by and I was like did you walk a little faster? Uh, I, I kind of felt like I should have run for the train but, uh, but more importantly I looked around at all the other people walking by and I wasn't sure if they were clued into it the way I was clued into it so for me it's one of those things I'll never forget and I don't know what happened to him by the way because he showed up at the station like twice and then vanished so if you're out there man who played uh, Mario and Zelda tunes on accordion we miss you come back uh, but but to me, like 
I guess because video games have always been such a big part of growing up, that's why that moment has always stood out to me. And so, like, then you had a lot of people, I guess, excited because it was like, hey, this is music we know, but with sort right. of a, a funky sort of different sound. Right. Yeah, that was sort of, if there is an ulterior motive to this band, it's to, uh, well, first be... Um, I just want to sort of share the music that I grew up with, this mm -hmm. funky jazz stuff that's not quite mainstream. Mm -hmm. It's starting to get a little more publicity with bands like Snarky Puppy and like Robert Glasper Experiment and different mm -hmm. bands that are kind of creating this fusion of, of jazz and other elements, other genres. Yes. Um, but yeah, try to get those genres out there, uh, play the kind of music I like, and video games, or video game soundtracks are a great vehicle for that, to get people interested initially and then to uh, check out something that they may not have heard before. Nice. Right. And is this now for you, is it, is it a night job or is it becoming part of your day job? How's it, how does it work? So, I mean, I, you guys could answer differently. Yeah. They're, they're like full-time students. But uh, for mm -hmm. me, it's ever since the band kind of started in earnest in the last three years, uh, pretty much any of my free time I put towards like trying to push the band along, try to get this booked, try to, you know, talk to, you know, get on this podcast here or, you know, just different things like, um, yeah, absolutely. It's it. I'd like for it to be a day job. Ultimately, uh, I'm trying mm -hmm. to transition into that. <laughs> How about you guys? Yeah. I mean, there's so much stuff, uh, that works now that it's getting more publicity and people are starting to catch on. Uh, there's a lot more jobs that we can do to help, uh, push the band forward especially with, um, like, merchandise or uh, dealing with contacts. Because when we play at these cons, um, we get approached by a lot of people who work with video game companies or uh, indie developers. People who hear what we're doing, they hear some potential in that. And um, we get a lot of contact infos, and it's like following up with all these people, any possible lead, because we just want to play wherever we can. But um, what me and Brian do is we do a lot of now the chart writing. Mm -hmm. um, before the charts, when I first joined the band, <laughs> there, they, they were laughable. Well, there weren't really many charts. We had uh, Robbie kind of typed up these uh, <laughs> word documents, word documents of the chord said, changes. Just the, yeah, just just the chord changes, and there was no notes. So it was basically if I wasn't sure about the song or if I hadn't <laughs> really learned it, I'd go home, listen to the original, and then make sure it was in the right key that uh, we were going to play it in, and then I just memorize it on my saxophone. Um, it was pretty heavily reliant on people to just kind of learn the song by ear. Yeah, right. and, and that's what we're all kind of fairly experienced with doing, it's, coming from a jazz context. It's, yeah. it's, it's evolved um, to now we have a three-piece horn section. So besides me, there's a trumpet and trombone. Mm -hmm. And the difficulty with that is with so many people, um, it's hard to get everyone to think of it the same way or to rely on everyone to learn the music in a timely fashion. So uh, we kind of take it upon ourselves to... Hear the chart. Uh, hear the music. Then we write charts on our computers, um, but it also gives us the freedom to do our own unique arrangements. So we're not just playing the charts, uh, the songs as they are. Right. Because um, hmm. if you know, it's like when we do something like our version of Lost Woods. I mean, the real song's pre it's pretty up there. Like yeah. Da, 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 we it, do it. 
more like a, a swung like a funky yeah. kind of yeah. hip-hop thing okay and yeah i was gonna ask that you said you know it's 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 easy to play these pieces they're so recognizable it's like Mar- you mentioned mario kart mario brothers they're they're up there i mean yeah upbeat yeah. fast yeah, tracks yeah. most of them right just you know the one you mentioned the, oh yeah, absolutely mm-hmm. accordion guy played. that is a fast piece <laughs> actually that um yeah. and it's funny to uh, just hear alex mention that you know playing these cons has gotten have gotten them exposure because that's actually how you guys came on my radar where you know i was at pax um i always make sure to stop by the fan gamer booth because mm-hmm. they're always good friends of ours which by the way alex and i just so be uh, happen to be wearing the same exact shirt from yeah, fan gamer, from yeah. fan gamer. <laughs> there we go so you should check that out uh, on the internet but uh but more importantly tell them jose sent you but more importantly yes. um <laughs> that uh you know i was passing by the booth and I, I was listening to this very funky jazz rendition i think it was of a mario kart song i was like man that sounds great and this was shortly after uh we started this podcast up um, again, and we're following uh, w- you know a weekly schedule, and I was like, this would make sense at some point to yeah. include this music, especially because music is such a big part of how we do the show. You know, we always kick off the show with, with a different song, we always end with a different song, we have breaks with songs, um, and it's not just to tap into the nostalgia of the people listening, but it's also because this music is really good, and yeah. I feel like it deserves yeah. that time to stand alone uh, and just kind of refresh and kind of hit reset in your mind mm-hmm. before we start talking about something else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's how I came across an album, and I was like, man, these guys are good. We need, we need, we need to talk. Uh, so Brian, you have been quiet, so I need to ask: <laughs> When you met Robbie, um, sort of, did you know what you were getting into in terms of okay, a, a band <laughs> that, that's playing sort of jazzy, funky, you know, covers on video games? Like, what did you think of that idea at the time? Well. Um, I first met Robbie because I, I had been living in L.A. Um, going to music school at a place called Musicians Institute down there. and Over in Hollywood. Over in yeah. Hollywood, yeah. And um, th- I, I had a lot of teachers like uh, that were kind of more in the tradition of jazz and fusion. And I was kind of getting to that point of, of my musical... Um, I was getting more musical awareness and getting more interested in that kind of playing because before that I was more of a metalhead and I liked a lot of rock music. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of looking to expand my horizons, so to speak. And, and um, so when I came back, um, I I didn't really know anybody. I was just going to community college um, looking for people to jam with. And through a mutual friend, I met um, Robbie, and it just became kind of a weekly jam thing. And we just mm-hmm. went to a friend's house, and we played, um, you know, some jazz standards or some funky music together. And uh, me and me and Robbie really connected through... Um, really liking this band called the Yellow Jackets and which is also like they started in San Jose but now they're they're world known they're you know right. uh, they've been around for 30 years they're no. touring the world like 6 months out of the year 7 months out of the year. right <laughs> there's uh, another jazz fusion band right the the pianist uh, Russell Ferrante teaches down in LA and sometimes at Musicians Institute so that's how we kind of connected and um from then on, Robbie asked me if I was interested in the video game thing. And actually, before I even moved to L.A., um, I had been working on using Pro Tools and Logic, and I had recorded my own version of the Final Fantasy VII boss mm-hmm. battle theme. It was like a metal mm-hmm. kind of version of that. Mm-hmm. So I was always interested in covering uh, video game tunes in my own uh, kind of unique way and uh, using it as a vehicle for me to solo and <laughs> yeah. do fun stuff over. So um, with something like this, um, I was immediately interested in mm-hmm. it, and we just went over to Robbie's old uh, 
<laughs> what the uh, your your old place that? Oh yeah. Well, I mean, we would uh, we would just rehearse a couple tunes, and we basically Fandomy was on the horizon right, right when I met Brian. It right. was like March, and then we we're like, oh, Memorial Day is coming up. Fandomy, uh, let's really hit this hard. Like you know, we got about two or three months to like learn a, a whole lot of really killer repertoire of hmm. you know video game tunes. We really kind of went into it in earnest with that, right. and that was the. Within those couple of months, that's when Super Soul Bros really got its name. Like, we, we named it Super Soul Bros, and it actually became a project. At first, it yeah. was like Super Soul Bros and the Son of Bits. And the Sons of so, Bits. We had a lot of, <laughs> so we had a lot of, like, guest, guest musicians from the Bay Area right. uh-huh. sitting uh-huh. in. Um, we didn't actually know who would come and play, but the people that actually did just come out of passion for playing, just ended up being in the band yeah. long-term for the yeah. most part. So when you played at the convention, was there any particular piece where you got such a big audience reaction that you thought, okay, now we're on to something? Like, anything over anything else? So, or? ironically, we've never actually officially played at the convention, okay. um, which, uh, if Fanime, if you're listening, we would love to, actually. Uh-huh. Uh, you yes. know, the band actually adjacent. started... Yeah, adjacent. We, we've always done nearby shows yeah, yeah. at uh, venues. Um yeah, so, and now we've been doing shows lately at Cafe Stritch, which is, you know, still in that same area. But um, I would say unanimously everyone says their favorite song, although it's not Popoff's favorite mm-hmm. song, it's Chemical Plant Zone. And I think that, that arrangement was just sort of immediately, like, it grabs you and it really fits with the just the, the funky style that, that we're kind of known for. Mm-hmm. Um and I, I think just that tune in particular, we would always play that. Um, we actually did, we, we, we would perform all weekend long. We would do like a Thursday night, a Friday night, a Saturday night, and then a Sunday mm-hmm. just to get as, as much exposure as we could. And every day we would play each song at least once. So I think Chemical <clears throat> Plan is just kind of the the main one that I think people tend to remember. And um, But I don't know if there would be one particular song that helped us realize, oh, we should keep doing this. Um, I think we just kept doing it because we wanted to yeah. <laughs> and it's kind of picked up so then what are your sort of individual favorites like right now this is the song that has to be on the set list because I will <laughs> leave the band like what what is that song for each of you maybe one or two songs even yeah it's changed quite a bit lately um, because the band it started off as like a quartet like a, you know drums bass keys and guitar mm-hmm. um now i play bass and the keys because i grew up doing that on on the hammond organ um so now we have the current instrumentation is drums uh drums and then me doing bass and keys and then guitar and then we have a three-piece horn section and so with that instrumentation it's opened up a lot of new kind of arrangements mm-hmm. and so the set list has changed quite a bit in the last year basically in fact we've we've totally like stop doing some songs just because we have much more interesting arranged uh, tunes. And when, when you're saying you're playing bass, you, mm-hmm. are you playing electric bass or are you playing the no, bass on the um, organ? I, I'm, or playing, on keyboard, I'm playing or? a keyboard that has a bass tone. So I, okay, I usually, gotcha. yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm working with two keyboards. One is for the bass tone yeah. and the other is for... What are you uh, using? I'm, so a Hammond organ? I, I'm, using a, I'm using a Nord, ele- um, sorry, a Nord Stage 2 cool. and uh, Nord's just killer. I, I can't really go back. Like uh-huh. any other keyboard, it's hard to not... Um, Play on a Nord. It's it's uh, but it's got a great Rhodes tone, clavinet, um, and it's got a great organ tone as well. But usually, yeah. what I'm doing is uh, playing Rhodes or clavinet, and then I just have a, a basic, um, like a, an electric bass, like a string bass tone. Yeah, patch going on. Um, favorite tune right now. What would it be? 
I still enjoy playing Chemical Plant, uh, but we don't always play that one now. So I think the newest one that we usually try to always get in is, um, it's another Sonic tune. It's uh, Aquatic Ruin, mm -hmm. which we mash up. Actually, Brian should talk about this one because he arranged that one. Oh, yeah. So uh, a fun thing that we like to do with tunes is uh, beyond, you know, playing beyond? them in the funky <laughs> jazz manner is we try we try to trick people into liking our favorite jazz tunes so right like, uh, <laughs> right with uh um like with the pokemon um battle or the theme or oh, the, yeah like so the opening, pokemon red blue yes, version theme the title opening theme. theme yeah we mix that with herbie hancock's watermelon man and yeah then we the headhunters like, version right yes so we do that and then um the kind of the new one is aquatic ruins from sonic 2 i think yeah, it's from Sonic 2. We, and we can't even remember the game. Yeah. There's so many <laughs> Sonic tunes. And, uh, we, uh, and I arranged that in a way that I, I mashed it up with um, Chick Corea's Spain. So it's like... <laughs> which fits because they're both fits. in a Latin kind of That's vibe. Yeah, it's kind of a Latin feel. And the, the melody just kind of goes into it in a way that's, mm -hmm. that makes sense. So, yeah. And then we also solo over the solo section of Spain. So mm -hmm. it's, it's pretty cool. Like We like to do all these little things um, That's cool. to trick people is that your favorite then <laughs> would that be your top tune that you guys play uh, that's you're biased I, but yeah I, i'd say that's one of uh our more recent favorites yeah yeah uh, everybody likes play everybody gets a solo on that one yeah. so everybody gets to yeah it's a good feature it's usually yeah. a closer for a lot of our shows now oh, right. just right. gets everyone in Mr. Well, Popoff. Uh, <laughs> I think my current favorite right now is Foreside from Earthbound. Yeah, okay. that's a good one. Yeah. That's yeah. a good one. Good good. I mean, the original song is already, um, it's got this kind of clave undertones to it. And so we do it in, in a Latin groove, which we don't really do much Latin stuff, so I really right. like it. Um, and I don't play the melody, but uh, me and Bill, the trumpet player, we play just these horn backgrounds that are really... They're just fun to play, and uh, yeah, they're really, really well written. Yeah. That's like a tune that that we kind of play almost verbatim, but with uh, we kind of change up the form a little bit. Yeah, Earthbound's a little tricky because uh, the music from that is so unique. It's uh, and very uh, there's some weird stuff in there. It's just like weird sound effects, um, but very, very specific parts that is kind of hard um, for me. Anyways, I'm, maybe I'm not super imaginative, but I just can't. <laughs> Uh, think of a better way to do them sometimes because the original is so good mm. and so well put together. Mm. Um, but besides Earthbound or Foresight, uh, my second favorite would probably be Mario Circuit. Um, it, just because it's really fun to play one, on yeah. sax and I get to play fast. That's a real that's all one that we haven't, <laughs> that haven't played for a while. You know what? I would say recently. going back uh, to the prior question of like what, what was a tune that really kind of got people... Uh, Chemical Plant was one of those, but I think Mario Circuit was like another yeah, tune that really, right. it's got a lot of chops in it, like just a lot of the melody lead is is really difficult to play, and right. that's why I let Brian do that. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it's just, just, it's another like really recognizable tune that's that's just an old favorite. We've, we've played that one another since the beginning. Another new one that I really like is Meta Knight's Revenge, which, oh, yeah. which mm -hmm. Alex arranged. I, I arranged really that one, cool. and I kind of regretted it immediately after, <laughs> because it's so hard. Uh, <laughs> it's a fast one. It's yeah. so fast, and right. up by the end of it, um, I think it was either Poor House Bistro Show or whatever we did before that, um, where it felt like I had a burn. Like, you know when you eat something really hot and your tongue feels kind of... Yeah. Yeah, whatever. Mm -hmm. it's, that's what my tonguing felt like afterwards, <laughs> because I'm just tonguing on the reed so 
hard Jeez. and so fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So all I mean, obviously we're hearing a lot about classic um, classic game music mm -hmm. with all this practicing and school and everything. Do you have any time to keep up with with modern video games? Do you still play games or do you only play instruments? So that's kind of the running joke so for sad. me. Only no, no, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's, that's the running joke for me is that I, I I tell people I haven't played a contemporary video game since Halo Two. Wow. Basically, Whoa. like it's been a while. I mean, it's been a while, and, yeah. and I have beat that finally. Okay, okay. <laughs> a little while ago. No, um, I just bought a Wii U actually because uh, we wanted to kind of get. Uh, I, I shouldn't say get on the bandwagon with Twitch, but actually. Um, what we really wanted to do was start doing a, a music, and we are going to start doing a music, live music stream on Twitch. Nice. Uh, but also I wanted to just play some games and use that as an excuse to play some new games and, and you know, also push the Super Soul Bros brand out there. Yeah, I mean, Nintendo's been doing some really cool stuff with music, you know. I mean, if you, if you go back to, like... Uh, you know, Mario Sunshine, even when they started to play with, like, acapella, like, synth uh, mm -hmm. acapella versions oh, yeah. of their mm -hmm. songs. So they mm -hmm. started to add some more stuff. But Splatoon, for example, sounds like nothing else in their entire <laughs> yeah. gaming history. You guys got to check that out. Yeah, yeah. I do need it's to. It's completely ridiculous, we, the music. Gotten, yeah, we've gotten some requests for that already. They sing in tongues. Yeah, Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> they sing in tongues. Wow. How about no. you guys? You play anything? Uh, yeah, I, I would say out of the band, I'm, I'm probably the most up-to-date. He is, uh, yeah. I play... I play recent games um, and I play video games probably more than I should uh, <laughs> when I should be doing my homework but <laughs> you can uh, get away with it right I now you're young I'm young and um, of course you're really good because you, your fingers <laughs> yeah. are fast because of yeah. all the yeah, exactly. work he's got and the, and I really yeah I really <laughs> uh, enjoy it um, but I'm also always going back and playing the games that I really liked as a kid too because hmm. um, from a music perspective too I feel like uh, the music um, in those early games was kind of they kind of fit more what we do which is why we do a lot more from that because some of the newer games they have um, either they're like orchestral mm -hmm. or they're rock um, mm -hmm. or something not quite as geared to what we do but there are some games and it's mostly Nintendo games um, that have these soundtracks that are still unique and uh, the most recent one I could think of is Mario Kart 8 right. it's Absolutely. got an amazing soundtrack. They've yeah. uh, they have they posted some videos of their in studio recordings, and mm -hmm. uh, I mean they've got guys on oboes and English yeah. horns, but mm -hmm. they're doing this funky stuff. It's awesome. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, the the opening theme kind of sounds like a late night talk show. You know, mm -hmm. like it's, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm, wa I'm always expecting Letterman to jump out right. and yeah. race around in the court. <laughs> no, I completely agree, and uh, and it, you know it's taking a lot of classic tunes and, and updating them, and that's something I really really liked. Uh, I feel like you you get sort of bits and pieces of it in, in big 3D Mario games. Like, you'll get, like, the song that's an occasional throwback galaxy or something like that. Mm -hmm. But uh, Mario, this last Mario Kart was, like, everything you, you've you've heard before, yeah, but with yeah. a new, like, a fresh sound. And so yeah. it was really cool. Really yeah. But, they're, they're, I mean, I feel, I feel like Nintendo is really consistent with their their sound in a way, right? Like, you can tell Pikmin sounds completely different from Mario Kart, and even right. Mario Kart sounds a little different from, from the Mario Brothers games, right? Yeah. right. Uh, and then Splatoon is just cuckoo. Yeah. So. But yet, when the when the streams do cross, like, take, <laughs> again, uh, just for a second, the Mario Kart 8 uh, <laughs> soundtrack. No, no, the Mario Kart 8 specifically, you know, when they put Link in there, mm -hmm. the the 
song that they put in for Hyrule, that Hyrule Castle circuit was crazy. Mm, like yeah. it was just all over, like all over the place, but really, really good. Yeah. yeah. Um. So it, it was it was something else to experience. So do you guys also? Uh, do you guys are do you guys play games together? I'm, I'm wondering, or do we you just do. connect now, over games? Now we have now we have an excuse to at least yeah, with yeah. a Twitch stream. Okay. Um. Okay. Yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Brian and I had a. About a week there, a, like a month or two ago, where we played oh, yeah. uh, Terraria for like <laughs> eight hours a day. Oh, wow. Like, we just, we both got right. into it and we just got so hooked. And it was just me and him, but we just played like ridiculously long. Yeah. Dude, we wouldn't even talk to each other. Yeah, we'd we just weren't be even building talking. stuff. We'd <laughs> <laughs> just be like, yeah. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's got that classic, like that classic look and sensibility, but then it has all the trappings of like modern games with like tons of items and things. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah, yeah. we'd just be playing. Like, we wouldn't be saying anything for some time, and then he would just be like, I'm going to get some dinner. I'm like, okay. Just keep it with whatever. And then he'd go to sleep, and then he'd be like, oh, I'll leave the server up so you can play. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I, I'd like, play till like, three I guess or four. in the most recent update, they added a... It's so that it's really easy to host your own server just by yep. having your game up through Steam. So, yep. yeah, i just leave it on and go And to then sleep. i just <laughs> build this huge thing, and then the next morning he's like... When did you build that? <laughs> I was like, I, just, I did it all last it's, night. It's actually, I, that's a great example. I have, a, I have kids, and my 12-year-old who's learning, uh, he's learning trumpet. He, he actually is learning horn now because schools switch you, mm-hmm. right? He's yeah. done trombone before, but he really likes brass instruments. And like, he got inspired by Terraria, by the music. He started playing really? that at home. And oh, then wow. like suddenly what was a chore, practicing music to right. him became fun, right? Yeah, and right. He started playing Minecraft tunes and Skyrim tunes and all that. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. Never play Mario Party with Alex. Oh he, yeah, he's does he cheat. I don't. I'm just, he does. I'm, I'm pretty sure he does I'm cheat. Super annoying. Well, annoying. But that's because I'm super lucky, and I recognize that. It and is. I tell it is paranormal that I will win most mm. likely. Wow. I've he predicts things. Luck. Like he just says, "I'm going to roll a 10. and he rolls a ten. <laughs> so you're like Neo. Like, you can see through their matrix. Yeah. <laughs> how are you not Mario Party? How are you not playing Lotto? Like, hang on. <laughs> Something, you know? Yeah. yeah we should start gifting. You should start placing bets. Luck. Yeah. Well, maybe yeah. that's the thing. They'll have Mario Party at casinos. Yeah. yeah. Uh, if they ever play for money. Yeah, I that's what it takes. Okay, so what are, what are some of your favorite video game soundtracks then? Now we're going classics to more recent stuff. If mm-hmm. you want to point them out, so we talked about Mario Kart 8. What else is kind of on that list of? Let's say you had to recommend five soundtracks or three soundtracks to mm-hmm. a friend and say these are the ones you should listen to. Oh, what are those? Shoot. Well, I'm gonna <laughs> cheat and just say um, Super Soul, or I mean Super it's... Smash Brothers Brawl. Okay. There you just go. Just because it has. Yeah. So many different. That is cheating. Right. Yeah. yeah. How that is every soundtrack uh, ever made. <laughs> Sonic and Street Fighter. Right. So, well, that's the Mega Man. Moment, yeah. Well, um, I think, uh, you know, Sonic um, 2 has a really classic soundtrack. So mm-hmm. does 3. 3, uh, it was rumored that Michael Jackson had actually written or co wrote some of those tunes. Interesting. Um, yeah. They didn't credit him, but. You can kind of hear the my MJ in it, and then, uh, <laughs> and then I always loved the Final Fantasy uh, mm-hmm. soundtracks. They're yeah. always really good. Um, uh, Final Fantasy Tactics, kind mm-hmm. of a really understated game. I I, I love that the soundtrack in mm-hmm. that game a lot. Um, nice. I don't know. And, I don't know. The yeah. Earthbound is kind of a new one. Right? Yeah. Earthbound, that's going to really be a common, it. I think, yeah. choice with a lot of us. I, Earthbound is probably the first one I would choose. Um, I grew up with Earthbound when it pretty much when it first came out. I mm-hmm. think I was like seven years old or eight years old. Um, 
Yeah, that soundtrack, that whole game just stuck with me. It's it's pretty much transformed, not transformed, but it's it has very much affected my life and mm-hmm. like the work that I'm working on now with the documentary and as well as this band. Um, since we started, there's always been some earthbound tunes in our repertoire. Uh, yeah. um, I would say the original Mario Kart, Super Nintendo Mario Kart, mm-hmm. that one... Um, Again, like Mario Circuit, I, I always wanted that to be a tune in the repertoire. Is that one? Um, yeah, the title the, screen music on that game. Sorry, not to, not yeah, to cut you off. Dun, has dun, a very Latin vibe. I loved it. We got to get that. Ga- well, they actually they yeah. reference exactly. They reference that I think in the credits of Mario Kart Eight. Yes. Mm. Yeah, they've got that that motif in there. Um, I love that track. And then the the Mario. Rainbow Road from that original Mario Kart was great too. Mm-hmm. We don't play that as often as uh, as we probably should. I I really like that one. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I don't know. As for a third, uh, I like a lot of Square soundtracks. I've never actually played a Final Fantasy game at all, mm-hmm. okay. uh, so that maybe will be something I'll visit on a, on a Twitch stream at some point. But yeah, like, uh, I did play Secret of Mana, which I enjoy the soundtrack of, and it's oh, fantastic soundtrack. Yeah, yeah that it's is killer. one of the greatest. Yeah, yeah. and um, and that, it's funny because I I think my grandfather bought me that game and I didn't touch it for like years and then like I just whimsically tried it when I was like 14 years old or something huh. I was like hmm. mm-hmm. oh this is kind of oh wow and I played through the whole thing got to nice. hear the whole soundtrack nice. but uh, if I could cheat and get a fourth one in Mario RPG has a good soundtrack too yeah, nice. yeah. yeah. yeah that's also very both, good both square yeah um, well one of my favorite series is Monster Hunter and I love the soundtrack to those games um, they're Orchest- they're mostly orchestral mm-hmm. um, so and then the songs for each monster um, you know they're very unique and it's just a sound that I really like to hear more in video games is um, it's orchestral but it's not you know boring yeah <laughs> no, no, yeah it feels it feels very grand like the yeah. world feels very yeah. big because of that soundtrack. Right. yeah I agree with that um, one that I'm pretty fond of is the two Zelda games for Game Boy Color I believe uh, it was Legend of Zelda, see, I guess, Oracle of Ages, and Oracle of Seasons. They've got this, um, I don't know, I just, uh, I played those games a lot because there was a period where I got them for my birthday and then I had lost um, the power connector for my N64. <laughs> so all I had was my Game Boy in those two games and I, I beat them back to back like several times in my childhood and the, it's just burned it in my mind and I really liked it. They, I mean, they sound pretty Zelda, but... Um, They've got this kind of dark yeah. vibe to them. And then um, another Zelda game, I really like the soundtrack to Wind Waker. Oh, yeah. That's oh, a yeah. Great one. yeah, yeah. I, I really enjoyed that, and all the, um, especially the boss themes in that game were really memorable. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That's got a Absolutely. bunch of good tracks, yeah. Pilot Wing 64. That's oh, another one that, yeah, good one. I was super into that. Yeah. I think we would play that material a lot more often if it was a little more mainstream or recognizable. Mm. Usually what we've been trying to prioritize our sets to be like, what's going to get catch people's ear yeah. that have never heard of us before? Because a lot of yeah. the time we're playing shows and there's like no kind of preemptive context of, hey, this band plays video game music. We're just a band at mm-hmm. a venue and we need to like, play the Zelda theme just to let people know, hey, we're playing video game music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of uh, you know, some of my favorite soundtracks of all time, one is Act Razor. 
um, mm. has amazing music. Yeah. You know, both Act Razor games. The first one was a really good game. The second one still has good music, but not not, not quite as great a good of a game. game. Yeah. Um, it just has amazing tunes. But if you played them somewhere, people wouldn't know. They might think, oh, I've heard this before, but mm-hmm. they wouldn't know what games they're from. Right. But then, you know, I mean, you can't beat Final Fantasy. The four through six were the glory days of, mm-hmm. of video game music on the Super NES. And then, of course, Castlevania. Mm-hmm. You know, Castlevania yeah. is this treasure right. trove of Absolutely. melodies that's just crazy. Yeah. yeah. You got any Castlevania covers? If not, can we I just recently started getting yeah absolutely yeah, right now yeah for yeah. PAX because at PAX you know it's like you get a, you're there for hours on the mm-hmm. expo floor or at least I would be and I'd be you know just busking like selling CDs playing for tips and taking mm-hmm. requests and I would get a lot of like Ace Attorney uh, Final Ace Fantasy Attorney, nice. and uh, you know like Street Fighter and um, Mega Man, Mega Man yeah. and then we would get a lot of Castlevania nice. so like I would kind of you know slowly but surely uh, acquire some of these tunes and get them into the repertoire well, yeah we've you, got like you can think Smash Brothers the new one for, for including yeah right. those tunes now for getting so them, getting getting them hardcore Nintendo the... fans who haven't played those games back then right. can now hear the music yeah. right yeah. so yeah we do like um, do uh, what Vampire Hunter or Killer uh, uh, Vampire Killer, killer? Is a, yeah, Hunter. One. yeah 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 <laughs> and then um, Smile, no. uh, smile, smiles and tears no bloody tears yeah, yeah we do bloody yeah. tears bloody yeah, tears we've got a few okay. of those yeah a good one yeah my, uh, my favorite uh, game or at least the sort of when the Castlevania music peaked for me was uh, well I guess it kind of peaked twice because it peaked with uh, Dracula's Curse the third game and if you if you ever hear the Famicom version yeah. we've talked about it on this show before so I'm sorry people listening are like oh that again, again. it's mm-hmm. that good you deserve to the hear Famicom that the Famicom disc version uh, yeah and then uh, <laughs> and then the Symphony of the Night which was also just so incredible mm-hmm. in terms mm-hmm. of arrangements and things that they did. Um, and then, I don't know, for me, it's it's always a Zelda. Like, it yeah. always comes yeah. back to a Zelda somehow. Yeah. Um, not even, I don't even think Metroid soundtracks have kind of stood out or have stood the test of time to me, although the original still does. But there will always be a Zelda game. Like, yep, that one. Mm-hmm. You should listen it's, to that. There's just so many tunes right. yeah. in the Zelda titles. I mean, Wind Waker sounds very different from Link to the Past, too. Yeah. You know, it has that whole kind of yeah. pirate theme built mm-hmm. in. Yeah, well, and the themes great. are incredibly memorable no matter what character it feels like they're applied to. Like, even even the Triforce Heroes has this French flavor that's a little yeah. strange, mm-hmm. but at the same time, it's still very, very cool and different. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. No, yeah, so that, that's awesome. Thank you so much for, for coming in and for talking to us. Absolutely. So what, what are you guys working on next? Where can people find you? They want to get the CD or they want to follow you guys on Twitter. Absolutely. everything, the info Ab- dump. Everything, all right. Well, it's pretty easy. We are, uh, our handle on every social media you can think of is at Super Soul Bros. We're on Facebook as well. We're on Twitch as well, just slash Super Soul Bros. Um, you can just go to supersoulbros.com. We actually have a new site that's uh, going to be going live today, actually. We got it done just in time for this podcast. Very nice. And uh, you can buy our albums there. Um, We're on Bandcamp as well, if you want to do that. Really, I could go off uh, SoundCloud, Twitter, Vine, yeah, whatever, yeah, all I've been Instagram. Posting some more recent uh, concerts we've been doing, some mm-hmm. clips of uh, some better takes of some tunes. <laughs> Absolutely, uh, yeah. every on, show that we SoundCloud, yeah, and that kind of has a um, selection, small selection from each uh, CD that we've put out, mm-hmm. and some new stuff that w- that haven't been released as CDs. So people who have bought the CDs already can go there and check out maybe something uh our new sound because you know we don't have a lot of recordings with the three-piece horns right exactly um i've also seen you guys on youtube i don't know if you've mentioned we're on youtube i should mention in fact that's ironically i think it's got the the biggest following is on Mm -hmm. youtube we have more subscribers on there uh so we do record every 
uh, show that we do. So we're going to start putting up like audio and video clips of of our various shows. Um, we're going to get in the studio very soon. We're working on the soundtrack for the Earthbound documentary, as well as the soundtrack for. Um, an, another Earthbound film, Earthbound Saga, which will be, uh, I, I shouldn't say when that's going to be coming out. But, um, yeah, just a lot of Earthbound stuff. And then I'd say in the next year you could be expecting a couple a couple new albums from us. Nice, nice. And, we, and we'd love to have you back to talk about uh, the documentary, which is Earthbound USA, if yes, I'm right. Yes, Earthbound uh, USA. Uh, that, that you are currently working on. Uh, mm-hmm. So tons to talk about with Earthbound. In fact, mm-hmm. uh, Tara once turned to me at lunch and said, I will never understand why they won't just put out another one. <laughs> right. Why yeah. Nintendo just yeah. let this ball drop? Because yeah. so many people care so much. Absolutely. Right. So it'd be great That's the to... story of the documentary. Yeah. 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 So it'd be interesting to, to have that chat. Earthbound is the firefly of video games. <laughs> yeah. 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 TV, yeah. TV land out there. All right. Right. All right. Well, there you go. Well, thank you for listening to the Nintendo Voice Chat. We're a weekly show on IGN, but we're not the only podcast on IGN. In fact, there are a bunch of different shows regardless of your interest being PlayStation, Xbox, whatever it is. Uh, we also have a bunch of features. We got some uh, cool interview quotes coming from Eiji Onuma and Hiramasa Shikata. So, you know, keep your eyes open for that. Uh, we talked about a bunch of things, including, you know, how Triforce Heroes kind of ended up on this totem system with three players, Why, how Nintendo experimented and reached that point. So we've got some cool info coming there. If you like the show, you can let us know a couple ways. First, you can head on over to iTunes and leave us a review or email us at nbc at IGN.com. We actually have a question for the week, uh, of the week for you, and that is... There's a Yokai Watch demo right now on the eShop. So we want you to write in and let us know what do you think of Yokai Watch right now? This is your first chance to sort of experiment, try this thing out. Do you care? Do you like it? Write in nvc at ign.com. We'll read your feedback next week. Give the demo a shot. Let us know what you think. This is being billed as, to some extent, you're tired of hearing it's the next Pokemon. What do you think now that you get a chance to play it? Lastly, you can find everyone in this room on Twitter, and we're going to go around very carefully. So let's start with Brian. Uh, I forgot my Twitter. I think, I think, no. I think it's your name, is Brian Shu. Okay. <laughs> Brian Shu, just okay. find me there. And yeah. Shu is spelled S H E U. There we go. Yeah. All right. And Alex, uh, are you on Twitter? Because right now, Robbie sent Robbie's email says is. at question mark. I, I am. I don't. I don't. Uh, I'm actually pretty new to Twitter. I don't quite wow, care how it works. Some musician types, man. They <laughs> hang out in smoky <laughs> bars. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I do. I do. They don't have phones. I think you could just find me if you looked up Alex Popoff. My Twitter handle is. I think it's Popolophagus. <laughs> Popolophagus, uh, yes. They won't have to say it. Yeah, I don't know why. Um, <laughs> and then my, uh, it's my nickname, Gwobs. So at Gwobs. G W O B S. Okay, yeah. and also the band is at. At, at Super Soul Bros. All right. Not brothers, but bros. And I will yeah. not make that mistake no, again. No, no worries. <laughs> Everyone uh, does. It's all right. <laughs> I, I, I blame Mario Brothers. Um, <laughs> and mine is Jose underscore Otero on Twitter. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for coming in, guys. Thank you again for Thank having you. us. Yep. And we'll be back next week with more Nintendo Voice Show.
Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.